Hello, I'm Jonathan Overend. Welcome to this latest episode in Series 2 of Sport and the Feels. It's Paralympic feels running throughout what would have been the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics. And I'm joined by a series of familiar UK sporting voices who've all presented for national TV or radio at recent Paralympics. And with me again for this episode, it's welcome back, Lee McKenzie. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Jonathan. How are you? I'm really excited about this one, actually, because after a fair amount of sort of nostalgia and people like Tani and Claire, who we spoke to the the other day, we've got an actual current member of Paralympics GB coming on the episode today, which I think will be fascinating for a lot of reasons. Uh, One, obviously, the, the training restrictions of the last few months, thoughts ahead of Tokyo, and clearly still a lot of uncertainty. But also in this athlete's case, Lee, we're concentrating on this episode about switching sports. Not easy. Not easy. And something which absolutely fascinates me, because I think when you work as a journalist uh, across a broad range of sports, you don't really see too many in elite sport um, that make a transition. And yet when you get to para sport, the transition seems much easier. I mean, I just remember being uh, at Rio and watching Kadena Cox at the time competing in two sports during the Paralympics mm. uh, in athletics and also in the velodrome. And she won medals in both uh, of those sports. And I just can't imagine the, the training. Some days she had to be in the velodrome in the morning and get to the athletics track across the other side of Rio in the afternoon and evening. And there are a lot of different examples of successful athletes. A lot of them start in swimming and then whether it be through age or, uh, I mean, Dame Sarah Story, the perfect example, made a fantastic yeah. transition to cycling. But she said it was a... Jodie Cundy yeah, well. Absolutely. It was an ear infection that made Dame Sarah Story do the switch. Jodie Cundy, another perfect example. So... I'm really excited about speaking to today's guest, who is Charlotte Henshaw, who's made that switch from para swimming, where she has won medals before, and she's now heading into the world of para canoe. And Jonathan, I knew that you'd already seen a huge amount of success for para canoe in Rio. There was a real gold rush day and you were there. There was um, a huge amount of success in a very short period of time, Lee, I've got to, I've got to tell you, <laughs> because the, the, the para canoe is, is a great sport because it, it's basically straight line, flat water sprinting. 200 metres, you know, gun goes, away you go. It's, it's like watching Bolt and, and it's, it, <laughs> invariably you get a photo finish. So it was a, a thrilling experience to be there for all the races through all the different categories. And it was very early in the morning. And, and the thing I remember was rocking up on the bus about eight o'clock in the morning to, to get there and, and go live with all these races on, on BBC Radio. And... Um, the security was was really tight, wasn't it, in Rio to get yeah. into all the venues? And yeah, we 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 knew it was going to happen, but we were all a bit bleary eyed because it was eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, we were on tour, so who knows what happened the previous <laughs> night? Um, so it was a bit. It turned into a little bit of a race against time to actually get in past security and then get set up in the stand and find the broadcast position and all that sort of thing. But anyway, in we got uh, in position. I mean, I say in we got. It was me and Nick Hope. That was it. It was, it was too. <laughs> two guys with a with a box of tricks so we we plugged it in and next thing you know the the canoeists are, are on the line ready for the first race and the whole thing was over in about an hour race yes. after race after race you know 
couple of minutes and that was it, over. And you're right, it was a gold rush from a British point of view. Emma Wiggs, Jeanette Chippington and Dickens, gold, gold, gold. Three of them, all three female competitors in the British team, won gold. Ian Marsden, Nick Baton for the men got bronze medals. So it was three golds and two bronzes in the space of an hour for Paralympics GB and it was this brilliant setting as yeah. well on the lake, right in the centre of Rio de Janeiro. And as you know, Lee, I, you know, I've seen a lot in sport, but that will stay with me as one of the great mornings, certainly one of the great hours of sport that I've ever watched. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, that Charlotte is going to have an awful lot to live up to. <laughs> I think the others should be worried, shouldn't they? <laughs> because she's got a track record of winning medals at Paralympic Games, silver at London 2012, bronze at Rio 2016, but in the pool. Now it's a new kind of water challenge for the guest on today's pod. Let's bring her in. It's Charlotte Henshaw. Charlotte, how are you? Great to have you on. Hello, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. I mean, are you, are you able to uh, do much training at the moment? How's it, how's it all been the last weeks and months? Um, it, much more back to normal now. Uh, I'm very fortunate, or we're very fortunate, that we are an outdoor sport. So we are slightly less restricted now than some of uh, the other sports around. Um Initially in lockdown, we were very much the same as everyone else. We were training from home. Our training centre in Nottingham got shut down gradually as the virus kind of took hold a little bit more. And then we were in lockdown at the same time as everyone else. We had to kind of go and collect all of our equipment on the weekend. And it was kind of a, right, we'll see you whenever sort of thing, which is a bit strange. So I drove away from... Uh, our training centre with my boat on my roof and my paddle in my car and I didn't really know the next time I would see my coach or my teammates oh, which was a bit strange. It's a really sad image. <laughs> it was it was yeah it was it was it was really sad actually because we kind of knew that it was coming but we were really fortunate that um you know DCMS had given us special dispensation to keep training for a little while but then you know we felt that it wasn't responsible to keep traveling and training when you know everyone else was kind of giving up so much and so we then eventually we got closed anyway and yeah it was very much a you know we'll see you when it's safe and everybody be safe which was a real strange thing because we're so used to spending so much time together and then to not know the next time you'd see your teammates or your support system was was really odd and um something that i've never had to deal with before and it was it was really odd yeah and charlotte without naming names if there are any to name did everyone mm -hmm. train as expected because when you speak to an awful lot of different athletes and, <laughs> and sports people um i think there's definitely a, a group who have gone headfirst into it and yes they've trained and then there's another who's been a little bit more casual over the last maybe 17 weeks or so <laughs> um I think a mixture of, of both, to be honest. And I, I think that was more the case at, right at the very start because not only had we been, you know, shut down completely from what we, we'd known, we were also right in the thick of preparing for our racing season, yeah. which was supposed to start the week after we actually went into lockdown. So we didn't make any races. Um, we were just kind of too late in the year to, to actually do anything. So... Um, not only were we battling with the whole situation of COVID and that frightening thing, it was also, are the Olympics and the Paralympics going to go ahead? And that decision also came at the same time. So I think, I can only speak for myself, 
when that decision was made, even though it was obviously the correct decision um, to make, it didn't make it any easier yeah. for that to be heard. And I, I admit, I, I took a couple of weeks where I was just, I didn't put training at the forefront. I decided to take a step back, um, try and come to terms with the change in the world and the lack of freedom and, you know, the things that were going on in, in the in the globe on the you know global scale and also to try and deal with the fact that the goalposts had been moved so significantly I think that took a bit of time to um sink in and I'll admit it I didn't feel like I wanted to train at that point because it was a question of you know what am I training for is it even going to happen and then eventually you know you get your head around it and you get stuck into the you know that that phrase the new normal and that's what I did and then I got quite used to training on my patio and in my garden and I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> training on your patio, not not in your boat. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. So we're fortunate that, um, yeah, I could have got a big paddling pool, couldn't Good, I, yeah. and put my boat in there. Um, no, we, we're really fortunate that, you know, before we were put into lockdown, British Canoeing had had the foresight to prepare us with equipment. And so... Um, we are we can use um, ergo machines there are kayak specific ones so um, I've got one of those on my patio so we could do some form of um, paddling mechanically um, and then we were kind of setting up home gym things and trying to make the best of what you have at your at your house which um, you know is a bit different for everybody but I think we all managed to you know make a good go of it. I'm just, I'm just interested as well. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about your switch from, from swimming in a little bit, but clearly, had you still been a swimmer, things would be very different. I mean, we've heard a lot about yeah. the problems that the, the swimmers have had getting back into training. You've got the situation, of course, with Ponds Forge in Sheffield, mm. which has been terrible to read for anyone with a, with a connection to that place. Um, so, in, in a way... You've made the move for different reasons, clearly, but um, you must have sympathy with your your former colleagues. Oh, absolutely, and I, I I'm still in contact with my um, my swimming coach, Glenn Smith from Nova, and he, you know, we're still good friends, and um, you know, it's been really tough to see um, not only the elite swimmers because I think you know they're a little bit more taken care of because they're on an elite program, but I think the thing that's made me really sad is the you know the the club level athletes the the kids that are the future of the sport and they had their hobby which it is for most of them taken away and it, it's a really tough time anyway during that those teenage years to keep hold of athletes because you know people start to move on and they get interested in going away and you know this the sport sometimes takes a back seat and i i really worry that this whole thing of being out of the pool for coming up to six months will have a real knock-on effect on the future of the sport. And, uh, you know, as somebody that's always been involved in swimming and, you know, it's my it was my first love as a sport, that makes me really sad. And um, so it's across the board in, in swimming that everybody's been affected. And You worry we might um, sort of lose future medalists almost if they decided to give up well, during this period. Yeah, I mean, there's always that possibility, you know, that you know, uh, they think, well, you know, I've had this long out. Is it worth going back? And um, it's hard to go back. And if they don't feel like they can do it, they might move on from the sport. And um, there's a lot of clubs that rely on you know the pool time that they're getting and if they're not getting that pool time are they able to sustain you know functioning as a club and there's so many um and it's the same for a lot of sports I realize that but um I think certainly swimming 
has had a it's taken a real hit because as you say they've not even been able to get into a pool for so long and there's not much that replicates swimming um you know you can do as many what bike sessions and go for as many runs as you as you want but it's it's not the same as being in the water and um yeah I think it's been really tough for them so I feel very fortunate that you know as I say that we're now I'm in canoeing we're a sport that we are outside and there is a lot of distance between us on a normal day so on that aspect it's it's very minimal changes we've had to make Charlotte do you think because you have changed sports and as Jonathan said we'll we'll talk a bit more about that in in just a moment but because you have made a transition and you're obviously an adaptable person and not frightened by change that you've maybe handled uh, everything that's happened since March and and since things started to get locked down uh, maybe better than than others oh I'm not sure about that because I've had I think um I think as a you know athletes in in general are very adaptable and it sometimes surprises me when I I think that you have to be adaptable to be an athlete because on the flip side of it we work so much to a specific plan and um it sometimes feels frightening to 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 deviate from that plan and but then I think you constantly surprise yourself with how you adapt to that change whether it's forced or otherwise um I think for me uh it's a skill that I've learned more so from just being involved in elite sport for such a long time that um, so much of success in sport is how you manage your mind as well as your body. And I think as I've got older, I've realised how important managing those emotions and your reaction to things is. Um, So I think it's perhaps not the fact that I've changed sports. It's just the fact that I'm a little bit older and I've been in the game a long time so you you learn things when you've been around for such a long time from different people and your experience can can shape that and I think that that's really served me served me well so you you said earlier Charlotte swimming was your first love and and Mm. clearly you still have a passion for it you you won a silver at London 2012 you won a bronze at Rio 2016 yeah um that there's a color missing there so I there just <laughs> wonder why, why did you take the decision at that point to move away from swimming and take up a completely different sport? <laughs> um, I think there was a, a few reasons, really. Um, I knew going into the Rio um, year that I was 29 um, and I was turning 30 in the January after after the Games. And Swimming is becoming a much younger sport. You saw it in the um, makeup of the Paralympic team from Britain in Rio. We had a, a huge amount of, of youngsters, which was amazing and it's brilliant for the future of the sport. But I was starting to struggle with the amount of training that I had to put through my shoulders. Um, and I'd just been in it such a long time. I think I'd started to lose the drive to want to make those changes that I just spoke about. And um I felt like I'd probably exhausted all opportunities to try and improve my performance. And um, it was becoming harder to keep up with the, the classification that I was in. I'd managed to cling on for the four years between London and Rio and it had moved on fairly significantly and I moved with it to a point. Um, but then it became much more of a struggle. And um, so I kind of thought that it potentially could be my last games. Um as a swimmer and then I was sitting in the closing ceremony at Rio and I just didn't want that to be it I didn't I didn't feel ready to leave elite sport behind I felt I had more to offer but I kind of thought 
maybe it isn't in the swimming pool. And so when I came back from Rio, I, um, I had very open conversations with swimming and said that I was potentially interested in looking at other sports. And I think that's where UK sport are really good. They have a, a talent transfer program where they can kind of identify athletes that are wanting to try other sports and, they kind of not match you up, but you speak about the options that your um, disability profile kind of opens you up to. And I'd also heard that uh, Paracanoo were looking to expand their, their squad. Um, they were local to me, they, they 40 minutes down the road. So it wasn't a huge life upheaval, which was one thing I didn't want in the aftermath of a games. Mm. And um, I thought, why not just take the opportunity to learn something new? I didn't put any pressure on it. I just wanted to challenge myself and see if I was any good at another sport because I'd always known swimming and that's all I'd known um and I got in a boat in the middle of December in Nottingham and I thought you know I really enjoyed it and if the cold weather and the swans didn't put me off I thought this might be an opportunity to to give it a go and that's what I did and you know it, it went quite quickly from there from being just learning to paddle to racing at the Europeans are probably about eight months later <laughs> um so yeah it's a steep learning curve so you're you're obviously still a, a water baby Charlotte but in yes, terms of that um so. UK sport sort of transference program what is it that they're actually mm-hmm. looking at is it uh you know your your muscle strength that will go on and let you excel in, in another sport or, or how does that work I think uh, it's lots of different things. I think they take into account your, you know, your your lifestyle, your age. I mean, I a lot of sports now require you to move and, um, you know, train centrally, which is great. But for me, I didn't want to have to sell my house and all of that. It just wasn't at that time. I didn't want to move my entire life. So that kind of um, narrows some things down because there aren't all the sports that you can train either locally or remotely um and then yes they look at um you know does your disability fit in with that sport because not all sports accommodate for every disability um and I think that that's where so certainly in para sport you know had para canoe been a sport when I was growing up that might have been the sport that I I was supposed to do but you know it's a relatively new sport and during the early 90s, there wasn't as much opportunity for a young disabled girl who was a bilateral leg amputee. Not a lot of sports, I don't think, had the you know the provision to take on um, a girl that wanted to be sporty, but swimming did. So that was the opportunity that I had at the time. So I think it's about matching people up with, you know, where they they fit well. And that's in a whole host of things physically, you know. I mean, it, it's great to hear, really, isn't it? Because it's about, mm. it's, it's like a company would think about its workforce and think, right, where should this person be best deployed? Mm. Or if they've had enough of working in one particular area, you don't want to say to that person, right, we're done with you now. Mm. Uh, you'd like to think they believe in the person, the individual, and therefore find a, find a new place. For them. Now, I know, I know sport's not really like that, but yours is a great example of where it, mm. it can be like that in practice. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, it's, there's a similar thing on, on, uh, you know, the able-bodied sports side, and it does tend to happen a lot younger, but I know that there are programs where they, you know, they do talent ID days at certain sports and they can see those transferable skills in, in teenagers that perhaps were doing one sport. And then they say to them, you know, have you thought about this sport? And some people perhaps have never heard of it or never had an opportunity to, to try that sport. And, you know, they identify people from 
all different sports and bring them into one to kind of create the next generation of athletes. And I think that, you know, why wouldn't we do that? I think they have that in lots of other countries and they have successful development programs. And like you say, it's it's matching people up to where their skill set lies. And I think that, you know, we'd be missing a trick if we didn't do that. If people are passionate about being involved in elite sport and have the have the qualities to to be an athlete and you know are willing to try different things I, I think that's only a positive thing and it's not just uh you know the physical side is it charlotte because i'm fascinated by the idea of this winning mindset and you see that successful people not just in sport and business also tend to be for a reason and they apply that to all aspects of their life and winning mindset must also be a transferable skill oh absolutely and i think you know, there's so many things that you can learn through doing sport. And I think that that starts at a young age, even when you're not perhaps doing it as an elite athlete. It's when you're in, you know, your, um, you, you, you're before, before you're 10, if you want to say that. I know I did swimming from being five, six years old in clubs. And while I didn't realise it at the time, I was learning all these skills that you know, have stood me in good stead for the rest of my career and hopefully will continue to do so when I finish with elite sport being an athlete. And I think absolutely the winning mindset is, I think for me, it's about being well-rounded. I think I really struggled when I was at swimming that I let it become everything, which was hard for me to get my head around because you know, when you on the outside looking in, it is everything to me. It's my job. It's my passion. It's what I do. And I found that when I let it become all consuming, I actually performed worse. And so it was finding that balance of being determined and leaving no stone unturned, but also being a well-rounded person, having something more to me than being Charlotte, the athlete has made me a better athlete. And I think that that's the key of a winning mindset for me is um, making sure that you commit to everything, but you have to commit as hard to um, making sure that you're happy in your mind as well as physically. You're listening to Sport and the Fields. This is Charlotte Henshaw. Mm-hmm. She won two Paralympic medals for Great Britain before switching to para canoe, which uh, is a sprint, flat water sprint, right? Yes, flat water sprinting, not not the slalom, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, that looks a lot of fun. They both look a lot of fun. But Britain are particularly good at this. Yeah. As I explained in the introduction, I was there on the lake in Rio de Janeiro when three gold medals came thick and fast. And Charlotte is basically joining this team. So I'm interested to know, at that time, when those medals were being won, did she have any inkling that that would be her sport next time the Paris came around? I actually think that the day that they raced their finals was the day that I was racing in Rio. So I missed the whole, you know, paracanoe kind of... In an hour and a half, I think it was like a yeah. clean-up for everyone. And I, I missed that, but... um uh, so I was across the other side of Rio in the pool. So you wouldn't have been able to go anyway. But <laughs> no. but, uh, but did it did it read because you said earlier that it was only really at the closing ceremony that you sort of thought about and I need to keep hold of this. And then mm. it was later in the year when you picked up yeah. canoe. Did it ever register in that final few days of the Olympics out there the success of canoe? And did you put that together with your future at that time? Um, 
I didn't, to be honest. I'd I'd heard about the paracanoe program prior to Rio, and obviously because I'm in Nottinghamshire, and I you hear about you know the local sport and the fact that they're based here. So I knew that they were building something special, and they had a real brilliant opportunity to showcase the sport at its first Paralympic Games and do well. Um, but I'd not because I was prepared with you know what I was doing in swimming. I kind of didn't let it kind of enter my mind too much because I didn't want to be distracted but then when I got home I'd I'd heard you know I was trying to catch up with everything that I'd missed um at the Paralympics when I was preoccupied with preparing for racing and I saw how successful they were and I thought crikey like that must be something you know I I want a bit of that (laughs) you know that must be a real special program that they're building there and Um, the fact that it was local to me and then the fact that I found out that I fitted perfectly into a classification for paracanoe, I thought, well, you know, it'd be silly for me to, to not go and try that. And, you know, you said earlier, and I joke about it all the time, that I'm a water baby, but there is actually something in the fact that I understand movement through water. And I thought, you know, the skills that I've learned for so many years in swimming, hopefully and surely they will, you know, transfer to to some form of water-based sport so it definitely um influenced my decision to to have that be a sport that I was keen to try and it was the first one that I did have a go at how much have you looked at other athletes Charlotte who have made successful transitions whether it be somebody like a a Sarah Story or Mm -hmm. Kadena Cox who was actually competing at Rio in two different sports which was incredible in itself and and medaled in two different sports do you look Mm -hmm. at other athletes and uh, sort of almost use them as inspiration even though you've obviously achieved an awful lot in your own career yeah, I think absolutely. And I think it's always nice to to see that it's happened successfully. And I, I think it it also really helped me that there were a lot of former swimmers that have made successful transitions. Um, you know, like you say, um, Sarah Story, Jodie Cundy, um, Jeanette Chippington has been huge for inspiration for me because she's made that exact same transition that I have from swimming to paracanoe and been very successful and she's you know been to more games than you can shake a stick at and she's got so much experience and is so willing to share that which is you know it's so valuable when you're wanting to make that transition and also my roommate at Rio Claire Cashmore was we made a transition into different sports at the same time and so she went off to paratriathlon and I went off to paracanoe and having somebody that I was very close with uh, as a teammate and we could kind of navigate that and support each other, which was really lovely. And so not only had we got the people that had gone before us, but we also had someone that was perhaps going through the same thing at the same time. And those sort of teething problems with a new sport, we had someone that we could be very honest with and speak that through. And um, I, I have to mention as well that the the communication between my former coach at Swimming Glenn and my current coach Colin Radmore at canoeing was incredible and they were so instrumental in providing a seamless transition they had coffees together without me there to try and you know understand how to get the best out of me as an athlete and I I can't thank them enough for that because alongside the inspirational people that have gone before me to have those people supporting me so brilliantly as I did it was was you know definitely part of the reason why it's been such a such a successful transition yeah that's great to hear it is it's refreshing isn't it Lee yeah 
It really is. Coaches actually I talking know. to each other. Coaches from different sports as well. It's lovely. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so now I suppose the challenge is, is, well, the challenge is obvious, isn't it? it it's presumably, Charlotte, to go for gold in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, that's been the dream of mine since I was, you know, 10 and I met a Paralympic gold medalist and she let me wear the Paralympic gold medal and I, you know... Who, who was that? It was um, Emily Jennings. She was a swimmer um, and she had just come back from Atlanta. So actually, I probably wasn't quite 10. Um, and she'd just come back from Atlanta and she'd won uh, swimming gold and I met her at like a... A sports weekend and she let me wear the medal and I was kind of just completely taken aback by it and just to digress a little bit actually the day that I won my silver in London she was a games maker at the pool and she was my medal chaperone to my medal ceremony and I yeah and you know she was the person that met me as I got out of the pool in London you get collected to be chaperone so you didn't miss your medal ceremony obviously and I got a tap on the shoulder and it was Emily and I honestly it was one of the most special moments because she I I hadn't made a secret during my swimming career that she was a real inspiration for me and the reason that I wanted to be part of the Paralympics and for her to share with me in a small way the first Paralympic medal that I won was absolutely incredible and it it, it made it even more special for me that's, that's um, brilliant do you think she, she organized that that, I mean, I, that can't have been a coincidence. I don't know. I don't know whether she was working. I think she was working as a games maker at the pool, but I'm not sure whether she requested it. And she never said, but I, I, I have to believe that it was meant to happen. Yeah. Um, that would be too, yeah, <laughs> be too was, weird if that was a coincidence, exactly. wouldn't it, after it, all those years? It was amazing. It was absolutely brilliant to have her there. Of course, gold is always the, the, the goal, but... Um, I've learnt so much over my career that, you know, that's something that is completely out of your control. The result of a race, you know, you can do everything that you possibly can. And especially when I have the competitors against me that I do, like Emma Wiggs, who's won everything. And, you know, we push each other all the time. And I think that's brilliant. But I can ne- you can never write anybody off. And so I think to put um, a medal colour on your goal is just asking for for trouble and so I want to go to the games I've got to get selected first that's not a foregone conclusion and it's got to be a step at a time I want to get to the games and then if I'm there I want to race to the best of my ability if I can follow the plan that I have with my coach and my support team um, to the letter and it goes as well as I can then the result will take care of itself and whatever will be will be and I I think I've learnt there are several races in my career that I followed the plan to the letter and I performed as best I could and I didn't win. But I was happy with my performance because I knew I couldn't have done any more and I think that that's the sweet spot and that's where I want to be. And if that brings a gold medal, brilliant. If it doesn't, I'm sure it'd be hard to swallow, but I will be happy with my performance and that's all you can ask of yourself, I think. Just got to hope it happens, right? Absolutely. I mean, it would be wonderful. You know, we've raced on that course and it's a tricky course to race. You know, it's it's salt water. There was still fish flying around in it in September when we were there. And um, it's a challenge and there's, it's under a flight path and it's, it's busy. Um, but they're the things that you practice for. Those are the things that you have to, you know, you have to deal with them to, to race to the, to the conditions and, the, you know, the environment on the day. And that's what we train for. And so... 
we'll be ready when the time comes. And, and I am just interested, just as a just as a serious final point on the risk of it taking place. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we know the statistics. We know yeah. disabled people are more likely to contract mm-hmm. and more likely, sadly, to, to ultimately die from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Is it talked about at all within the team that the risk of going or, or do you have to put that to to one side? I think we're now of the mindset with all we know at the moment is that we know it will probably go ahead only if it's safe to do so. And I think we have to trust that the people who are in charge of making those decisions will will make the right one. So I don't think we've kind of thought that if we go, it would be a risk because I think that, you know, we're kind of working on the assumption that if it's going to go ahead, it's hopefully going to be safe to have it and have the event. Um, but there's so much that's changed in the last six months to, to even think about what the next 12 looks like is... You know, you can't, you can't no, look at that. No, no. And so we, we don't know what's just, going to happen tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> it's changing daily. And so we just have to kind of hope that, you know, it will go ahead in some way, shape or form. And I think we're all starting to yeah. think of the different possibilities of what that might look like if we don't get, you know, that magical vaccine that everyone's hoping for. Um, you know, I think we have to be realistic that it may look slightly different if it goes ahead. And I think that, you know, we have, like I said, we have to put the trust that the decisions will be made to to keep people safe because I don't think they're going to want that on their on their plate as well as, you know, everything else that they're having to deal with, um, with a rearranged Olympics and Paralympics. So um, we're just having to crack on with business as usual. And, um, you know, uh, to be honest, I can't really think about it not going ahead because I think that would be, that would be awful to try and uh, get your head around again. But you know, we have to trust that the right decisions will be made and fingers crossed that will be a, a safe and celebratory Olympics and Paralympics because I think it would be a lovely light at the end of the tunnel if it was able to happen. Yeah, really would. Well, that's a, that's a lovely way to finish. So um, we stay positive. And yes. Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great pleasure thank chatting. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So there we go. That's Charlotte Henshaw. Good luck to her in Tokyo next year as she tries to add a a para-canoe medal to her two medals already achieved at the Paralympics in swimming. She sounds sounds determinedly, doesn't she? But she also sounds very realistic. Yeah, and I imagine it's such a difficult time for all athletes because... You know, they've got to continue to train. They've got to be at their best. And yet it must be uh, without a, a shadow of a doubt at the back of their mind that this might not go ahead. But it is a real balancing act because you've got to have that winning mindset that we talked about. You've got to have the balance in your life, particularly when you don't know when your next competition is going to be. And you might be attempting to win a medal exactly this time next year. 12 months time to be at your best. It is such fine margins. And I certainly don't envy any athletes at the moment in that position. That that image of her leaving the training centre with the boat attached to the roof of her car will will stay no, with me a little so bit. It's almost like, oh, no, no, you you will be back. Don't worry. The you end will of be a back. movie. There must isn't have been it? something in the corner of her mind that day that thought, "Cool, am, am I driving away from my sporting life here?" Absolutely, but you know, athletes and she did talk about it are adaptable whilst they're sticking to routines and they've all had to find their their own different ways of training whether it be in a patio or a garage or or some way um they are adaptable they they are used to dealing with success 
and failure. And I know when I've spoken to a lot of different uh, sports people, many of them say that this is almost the a healthy way of looking at what might come after sport. They've never been used to not training and, and not taking part in sport. So if anything, if we're having to look for positives, maybe it does give an insight into the future for many. But I think for people like Charlotte, they're just looking at the next day, the next month and, and right up to the Tokyo Paralympics. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed indeed. Lee, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we shall hear from you again. Uh, that's Lee McKenzie, and we'll be back with the next episode of Sport and the Fields very soon. Does your does your boat have a name, by the way? Are you are you one of those who like treats it like a pet? I don't actually. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone having a name for it. No, I, th- name I think I just boat. made that up to be Thank honest. Oh, I don't no. know where that I mean, came from. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But I do. Uh, we are quite protective of our equipment. But I, I've never heard of someone giving a name to it. But um, I might, I might, I might pitch that to some of the guys. They might quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sport in the Fields is a ninety-four nineteen independent production.